0: You are listening to
1: Diversified Audio. We are a father and daughter who talk about things that are happening in our world.
0: We are conversational and we would like to invite you into our conversation. Welcome to episode five of Diversified Audio, the father-daughter podcast. I am Mark Kilblock. I am the father.
1: And I'm Sophia Kilblock, the daughter.
0: And there has been um, a really big development that um, seriously impacts the, the credibility of diversified audio, okay. The father okay. and daughter podcast, okay. You don't know anything about this, do you?
1: No, I don't.
0: Well, one of the things that I say when I introduce the show is how where we're coming, where our location is, right? Yeah. Three point three miles. Oh we, yeah. yeah. Well, I actually clocked. I was guessing at that. I have full disclosure. Oh. I had some idea because of my bicycling days um, out on that road, um, and I took an estimate how far it is. Okay. But I have to disclose to our audience that it's only three point one miles. Okay. I, okay. I seriously apologize. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't mean mean to mislead anybody.
1: right. But
0: it's only three point one miles. so I will um, I will amend our opening from now on. We are coming to you three point one miles from the geographic center of Delaware. <laughs> okay, okay, we feel my my conscience feels relieved now. I feel like we can go on. Okay. All right, you yeah. feel better?
1: I, I I don't I feel indifferent. Yeah, <laughs> it's only like point two, but okay, yeah, sure.
0: So, um, coronavirus rules. Why don't we start with that? All right. Okay, because we have been working our way through a list of twenty some odd coronavirus rules and yes. stopped at number ten. Yes. And uh, we've discussed multiple times that, uh, like it or not, it, this thing is still with us. Yeah. This list came out a long time ago, and uh, we, we've been going back and forth of you know how well have these aged. Um, in some sense, it's like uh, we've gone full circle. Mm-hmm. And and even if they were getting old, now they're new again. Yeah. Because of recent developments. Right. But uh, let's press on. We we left off at number ten last week, so let's go with number eleven. You will have many symptoms when you are sick, but you can also get sick without symptoms. Have symptoms without being sick, or be contagious without having symptoms. Yeah. Want me to read that again?
1: <laughs> that's, okay, no, I guess- Or
0: should we break it down one at a time?
1: Um. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you do your thing, I was gonna say something, but it's fine. Go ahead. Okay, well, that's the one thing that everyone's so confused about with coronavirus, and why I feel like a lot of people were freaking out at the beginning, because it's that whole thing where it's like, you can have coronavirus without having symptoms, but- you could also have the same symptoms of coronavirus and just have a cold? Correct. So it was just confusing. Coronavirus yeah. is confusing.
0: I, this is just my non-professional, uh, no, no doctor degree opinion. Yes. But if if you have similar symptoms, you probably do just have a cold. Probably. I think the thing that marks coronavirus, from from what I've read from people who've had it, is that whatever the symptoms are, they're, they're pretty severe. Mm. Um, you know, you have a cough, well this cough is like debilitating
1: yeah
0: or the fever's high for a long time Mm -hmm. those kind of things yeah all right so let's say you will have many symptoms but you could also get sick without symptoms yes that's true and um i guess that's the thing that helps it spread because people are walking around don't know they have it yeah or be contagious without having symptoms i'm not sure i follow that one but that's rule number 11 you ready for 12 sure all right rule number 12 in order not to get sick you have to eat well and exercise but don't go to the store too often. Eat things with a long shelf life or whatever you have on hand. Don't go outside for exercise. Yeah. This is one that's showing its age because the going outside thing has been relaxed more and more yeah. and more. And my observation from uh, the, the bike riding that I do and going to parks and trails and things like that was, um, <clears throat> it was very unusual to see people running and bicycling and just walking outside with masks on. But that was a, a thing. Yeah. Which seems to be quickly fading away. Yeah. Um I would say a month ago 85% masks. Yeah. Now it's more like 35%. Yeah. You know.
1: And I think people who are exercising really should still wear masks since you're I the agree. one really breathing out a lot of yep. stuff, but you know, for yeah, their it, own.
0: What what you need is um some of those color-coded uh graphic pictorials that show your breathing yeah and how far it goes yeah um because uh one man at our church works in the safety field
1: mm-hmm.
0: and he shared with some people one of those graphic pictorials of how far a sneeze goes yeah yeah that kind of thing but on that same notion that you just talked about exercising and breathing i saw the same thing for bicycling that mm-hmm. and plus what you know you're riding into the wind the wind carries whatever you're breathing out behind you, right. and all that. And that's why I stopped cycling for a while. But then it just seemed like you know everything's more and more relaxed. Yeah. And by my personal count, we're on day one hundred mm. and one,
1: uh,
0: and our family, thank you God, is uh, CV nineteen free. Yes. So far, so I don't take that for granted. All right. Rule number thirteen. This just goes flows right into what we were just talking <laughs> about. It's good to get some fresh air. But you get looked at very wrong if you go out for fresh air. Don't go to parks. If you do go to a park, don't sit down. Except you can do that now if you're old. But not for too long if you are pregnant. But not too old. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That one just speaks to the confusing nature. Um, And really, it's funny. We live in the age of science and we have a lot of data and everybody has graphs. Right. But if you really, and you can buckle down and say, I'm going to educate myself on this topic. And, and it's it's almost the same thing as when it comes to to a medical issue when mm-hmm. you when you really try to figure it out
1: mm-hmm.
0: What you come to find out is nobody knows it nobody knows
1: no uh,
0: medical science is trial and error yes and they'll tell you that when you got something that can't first
1: rule of science is that science can never be proven
0: yeah is that your is that sophia's kill block first rule of science
1: it should be because nothing can ever be proven because science is changing every day because we don't know everything about our That's world.
0: very true. The new studies. Yeah. And that, this is one of the things with my longer life experience than you, but you may have already been through some of these cycles. Mm-hmm. Butter's bad for you. Yeah. Butter's not bad for you. Yeah. Then butter goes back to being bad for <laughs> you. Caffeine's bad for you. Caffeine's good for you. Yeah. Right?
1: It, it's a whole it thing.
0: depends on the study. Yep. You know? And, and then I think we go back, um, people from my generation will will, will Will relate to what I'm about to say, but your mom would always tell you, "Everything in moderation," mm-hmm. and that's really true. That is true. Yeah. Yep. All right. Rule number fourteen: You can't go to retirement homes, but you have to take care of the elderly and bring food and medication. Yeah. Yeah. There's, and you know, we're taking a lighthearted approach to this, these things, but the the nursing home thing was really, uh, yeah, in some cases, a disaster. Yeah. Yeah. Uh,
1: that really hit. Coronavirus really hit hard for nursing homes, but.
0: Yeah. if you are sick you can't go out but you can go to the pharmacy <laughs> this is mo- these were written during the time when everything was first breaking and, and yeah you know yeah there was a lot of confusing thing like that like going to the store you you know you pictured it as going to uh to a war zone or something yeah and you're really taking a big risk matter of fact you and I finally broke that thing didn't we
1: yeah we went to, to walmart <laughs> for the
0: first time last week yeah and everybody had masks on Yep. i mean that's one place i don't think i saw anybody in there
1: you know what was great about that trip what is that you could avoid everyone you didn't have to interact with any human beings and let me tell you what i was so happy when i found out that the self checkout was still available and still that. going on because i heard at the beginning of the coronavirus stuff, i heard that they were like not doing the self checkout stuff. Yeah. And I was like, if we go in this store and there's no self checkout, I am going to cry.
0: I like the self checkout too, but I had a couple of bad experiences with it the first couple of times I tried it. Yeah. But I know you got it down to a science. So yes. I was equally as happy cuz I'm like, we only had a few items as like yeah. we can do this and and we're out of here. So are you telling me you like to social distance? Yes. Even before COVID-19? Yes. Yeah.
1: I, I kid you not. Like, the whole thing where you, like, avoid certain aisles because there, there are people in there, or, like, you know, you have to, like, walk around people that we're doing now during corona. I did that before there was a coronavirus. Right. Like, I would avoid certain aisles because there's just too many people in there, and I can't see, like, a clear path of getting around people.
0: Yeah.
1: I'd have to, like, talk to them and say, excuse me, which I'm terrible <laughs> at <Yeah>. doing. <laughs> so, but you're,
0: you, you told me you, you're actually, like, you're a very confusing person. because yes. What was that thing again? Ambivert? Yes. You're an introvert, extrovert? Yes. Depends on which way the wind blows, I guess? Yeah, yes. Okay.
1: It <laughs> depends, like, if I kind of know someone and can, like, make conversation with them, it's not that bad, honestly. But if it's, like, a complete stranger that I've never seen before in my life, and I'm, like, put in a situation where I have to talk to them, then that's where I'm, like, I kind of just want to crawl inside of my shell and never come out again. Yeah.
0: So. That's definitely the introvert side. Yep. All right. We are coming to you, and I have to say this slowly because it's a mouthful, on National Hike with a Geek Day. Yes. And we always go into these fresh. We don't do a lot of research on them. So go ahead and. And uh, share it with us and we'll we'll see what we can do with okay.
1: this. Okay. National Hike with a Geek Day. Going beyond desk exercise, National Hike with a Geek Day on June twentieth summons the techies, geeks, IET gurus, and gamers to push away the keyboard and strike out across the inviting landscapes of nature. Alright,
0: stop right there. So far I'm in favor. Yes. I think they all need to do that. <laughs>
1: Yep. The day isn't limited to the tech-savvy who speak in code, nor is it just for the emoticon-loving web-surfing fact-finders. If you have ever texted your significant other from the other (laughs) room, (laughs) or checked to see if Alexa has the skill to restart the dryer, you probably fit the criteria for this celebration. I agree. Both as a way to unplug from technology and to re-engage with the people around them. Hike with a Geek Day calls to all those who can pronounce, uh, osmium osmium correctly the first time, (laughs) the number crunchers, and every area of scientific study to refresh and stretch their horizons. June 20th is also the summer solstice. It's perfect, it's the perfect time to grab your nearest, dearest geek and plunge into the neighboring wilderness for some adventure.
0: All right, well... Like I said, I'm in favor of that. One thing we've never done on these national days, we've usually described what they are, but we haven't gone into the how to observe.
1: Right. So let's,
0: let's transition into that and see what it says.
1: Okay. Geeks, beware. You'll be cajoled. I'm assuming I'm pronouncing that right, coaxed and perhaps prodded by friends and loved ones. But this is your day. Go take the lead. When asked, surprise them by whipping out your hiking boots, map, and compass. Friends and family, don't be surprised if your geeks have been waiting for this moment all along. Visit hikingwiththegeeks.com for inspiration or motivation. Use hashtag hikewiththegeekday to share your adventure on social media. You can also explore these 12 family-friendly hikes in the United States states
0: as most things do it goes around full circle get away from the computer and this and that but there's a hashtag and share it on social media (laughs) yeah i'm not sure we're i think we're defeating the purpose there and i think
1: i can pretty positively say that i am the resident geek of this household Uh,
0: maybe if that's is that your self-assessment yeah i don't know if i would use that word i
1: mean you walked in my room one day and saw my movie posters and said i was a geek so did I really? Yeah. All right,
0: well, <laughs> geek, is, geek is a term of endearment.
1: Yeah, that's true.
0: Nothing, nothing negative about it.
1: No, I like. You know what geeky. I would
0: say to sum all this up? Mm-hmm. It is what it is.
1: It is what it is.
0: All right. So you have a different way of saying that, <laughs> right? I yeah. And. I've said it, and then you've, you've come back to me, and you get this really funny toothy grin on your face, and you say, ease ease. and you seem to get a, a big kick out of that, <laughs> but there's yes. actually an origin to where that came from. Yeah. So
1: It's just this random like 10-second video on the internet that's just really funny, and Gen Z has adopted as their life quote now, so.
0: Gen Z is you. Yeah, that's me. Yeah, okay. We're going to talk more about Generations later, but let's find out how we got to this thing. It is what it is. So I'll
1: play the clip. <laughs> and it's just a group of these guys just laughing, and just, it is what it is. How
0: did you come across that?
1: I don't know. It's kind of just an internet thing that blew up. There's all sorts of, like, videos that use the term... And it's just yeah. kind of used to describe a lot of different situations now.
0: It's one of those phrases that I actually hate, which you can't get away from. No. <laughs> because I usually say it when I'm frustrated. Right. And I think most people do. Yeah. Right? Because they're, they're they're describing something that they can't change
1: mm-hmm. or
0: some, something to that effect. Yeah. Uh, but my, my que- I heard somebody ask one time, and it's a valid question, is there anything that isn't what it is? No. No.
1: That's the whole point. That's
0: the point? It is
1: what it is, and you deal with it.
0: Speaking of points, I would like to ask for a point of personal privilege. And we do have uh, some clips to go along with that.
1: We're going to talk about point of personal privilege. Point of
0: personal privilege.
1: Oh, goodness. Okay. Yes.
0: So, I I don't think this needs a whole lot of background. As um, we play the clip, uh, people will understand where we're going. Yes. Because we did mention the word Generation Z. Yes. So that's going to have uh, something to do with the uh, point of personal privilege.
1: If we want to defeat capitalism, we are going to need a party that will organize working people to fight for the demands that we want and to win socialism. Stop it. Thank you so much.
0: Great. Right. Awesome. Okay. <laughs> I, I'm baffled already. Okay. How do you win socialism? I don't know. Okay, then right. I don't feel so bad. Okay. <laughs> all right. We'll, we'll, maybe we'll develop that further. I but... think
1: they. I think she was trying to say like win over capitalism, like socialism wins over capitalism or yeah. something. Which. Yeah. That's yeah. Anyway. Quick point of privilege. Quick point
0: of personal privilege. Yes. Um, guys. Uh, first of all, James Jackson, Sacramento. He him. Stop. I just want to say, can we?
1: <laughs> he him. He him. Go ahead.
0: Tell me why he said that.
1: Because he's a dude.
0: Okay. So this is um, this is this is relatively new to me. Yes. But this is supposed to be the new way we identify ourselves. Yeah. Because I, well, normally for me, the male pronouns. Yeah. Are he him. Yeah. And for you. She her. She her. Yeah. So in the past, that has not been necessary to explain no. that. No. Right. But now. There may be men who don't want to be he's or hims. Is that why he said that? Yes. So you don't necessarily assume because you're a male, you're yeah. a he or a him. Yeah. Okay. Uh, okay. I
1: think I think the way some people would explain that is they don't want to put a label on themselves. That's uh, how I've heard it explained some ways. But yeah, I, I, I think
0: know. there's there's more to it than that. But let's let's continue with this <laughs> madness. Okay. Please keep the chatter to a minimum. I'm one of the people who's very, very prone to sensory overload. There's a lot of whispering and chatter going on. It's making it very difficult for me to focus. Please, can we just, I know it's we're all fresh and ready to go, but can we please just keep the chatter to a minimum? It's affecting my ability to focus. Thank you. Thank you. You know, I am a baby boomer.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Those are people born to World War II people. Mm-hmm. So that's my perspective in life. Mm-hmm. So... Things I've heard about from my parents, are like growing up in the Great Depression,
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, having air raid drills at school.
1: Mm-hmm. How
0: you crawl under the desk in right. case your school is bombarded. Right. Uh, defeating n- Nazism. Right. You know, six mm-hmm. million Jews were killed. Yeah. These are the kind of things that, that these people lived through. Yes. Uh, my generation. Like we talked about the racial unrest, riots back in the yes. 60s, mm-hmm. assassinations, uh, 9-11. Yes. This guy is upset by what?
1: Oh, whispering.
0: And it gives him sensory overload. Yes. So can we say that we would not want to go to battle with this guy? Yeah. Yeah. He's he's whispering?
1: Yes. Yeah. 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 <laughs>
0: Okay. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I'm not asking you to justify it. I'm just, want, I'm, I'm uh, kind of like telling me,
1: yeah, verify
0: this is what I'm hearing.
1: Yes, that's that's what's happening. But, um, I don't know. I don't know how to explain it. I guess it's just something that happens.
0: Yep.
1: I don't know. Mm-hmm.
0: Hello. Hey, Mark. All right, joining us on the phone it's is Mr. Ms- Good. We're recording right now, Bill. Mark, you there? Yep, we're here. Can you hear me?
1: Hello? There we go.
0: Can you hear? I was muted. Sorry. <laughs> no, that's okay. Okay. Um, so I, have bad, I have bad phone reception here, so I, I never know whether someone's hearing me or not. We got you loud and clear.
2: Okay, good. Sorry, I, I didn't see your message till just now. I got tied up with something. I'm not always by my phone, so.
0: No, we appreciate per- It's okay. Is now a good time? It's perfect. Um oh, good, good. We're just good. in the middle of uh, recording. So uh-huh. we can we can uh, get right into our subject. Let us okay. uh, let us introduce you, and then we'll go. Okay? Yeah, absolutely. All right. Joining us now is Mr. Bill Airy, formerly of ILC Dover, uh, now retired, involved involved in the spacesuit program there, and he's written a book called "Lunar Outfitters: Making the Apollo Spacesuit." Bill, I also want to introduce you to my daughter Sophia.
1: Hello. Hi, Sophia. Hi. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you too. And uh, yeah, you guys are doing. What a great job. Thank uh, you.
0: Appreciate it. Uh, Bill, there's a lot of stuff we want to talk to you about. I, I think if it's possible, we want to have you on more than once. But today, we, we mostly want to focus on the book. And, and Sophia has a, a question or two for you on your book. Absolutely.
1: So, sure. So, sure. very first question, what gave you the inspiration or idea to write the book?
2: Well, I I just thought it was such a great st- because of the challenges that people faced in building the Apollo spacesuit and designing it. It was the first time they ever had to build a spacesuit to, to go to the moon, I mean, to go anywhere, really, in the mm-hmm. space. They had some other suits, but they weren't real challenging. The, the, the programs weren't real challenging, like Mercury mm-hmm. and Gemini would just kind of fly into space and stay in your capsule for the most part. There were a couple spacewalks during Gemini, but the Apollo was the first program when we were going to go to the moon. And so for this small group of engineers we had way back in the 50s and the 1960s to come up with a concept of what a spacesuit would be like and then design it and make it and it was a small company it was a real underdog company meaning that you know they didn't they didn't it wasn't a big outfit that had all the things that NASA looked at for like a, things like systems engineering, configuration management, quality engineering, all the heavy things that you needed in a big mm-hmm. organization, they didn't have that. And so it was a real challenge. And I just I got that inspiration because these people overcame all those obstacles and made these suits um, what they were and, and allow these astronauts to survive on the moon.
1: Right.
0: Yeah. The thing that that always amazes me about this first moon project is it's uncharted territory? It's like the um, the pioneers going Absolutely. going somewhere they've never gone before.
2: And, well, that's right. And there's so many unknowns.
0: Yeah, you know what materials do you use? What's the environment like? Um, those type right. of things.
2: Right, and and you're trying to please um, an astronaut who has to get in this suit and wear it, and there were so many challenges there because it didn't feel uh, totally comfortable sometimes when we first developed the suit. They were really bulky and really hard to work in, and so we had a lot of criticism. And so these engineers were constantly, and and I'll say engineers, but there the other people played a big part. with the seamstresses that did the sewing, and they were all under the gun to get this thing right, and they were always getting beat up on because it just wasn't, it didn't feel right. It just was too bulky and too many pressure points in it and and so they had to work out all the kinks so it was a constant challenge but but they overcame all that and that's part of that inspiration
0: is there a time that you can pinpoint as as kind of like a turning point well maybe at at first it was a struggle and those type of things but where it, it really became apparent this is going to work this is going to happen yes uh so in
2: 1962, we won the very first Apollo suit contract. And I think that was a real boost for morale because they knew that up to that they had a good design of what a spacesuit should be and this was now the first real true contract that they'd won and it was for the apollo get me to the moon kind of contest and uh and so they won it but then they were made to be a secondary supplier to the suit Uh, they weren't prime contractor and that kind of deflated them a little And, and the suit wasn't coming along very well and they thought they'd lose that contract um but by 1964 and 65, um, they rallied again and came up with a different design and finally won, it, won the contest again. And then they knew at that point they had it. So 1965 was really a turning point, I would say, where they really locked in the design. And it didn't change a whole lot from that point on. And from 65 till uh, the mid-1970s when we finished uh, flying all the Apollo and Skylab missions, that was, uh, those were all our suits and it worked out great.
1: That's great. So what was the purpose in writing your book, and what do you really want readers to take away from reading your book?
2: Well, good questions. I, uh, there were two purposes for the book. One was to tell the people story, the story about those uh, early engineers, and then the later engineers, and the seamstresses. I really wanted to get those people. I always mm-hmm. wanted to get the people who were the... You know, mm-hmm. not just the top dogs of the company that did all the engineering work, but mm-hmm. all the people that did the day to day stuff. That was important to me. The other part of the story I wanted to tell was the technical details of the suit. It was kind of mm-hmm. hard to do because, you know, sometimes you pick up a book and it'll be kind of just a fun book to read about people, or you'll pick up a book and it'll be a technical book about, you know, how cars run, how an engine works, things right. like that. Right. Or, you know, race cars. You guys are in right. yeah. the racing. Right. Yeah technical details about the book so i guess if you use the analogy of writing about uh racing uh you might have a story you know like what i try to do is tell the story about the people who designed the car and Mm -hmm. who they were and then Mm -hmm. the people who raced it and and then the technical detail of the car? Why did the car work the way it did? So that's how I kind of did it. I covered both territories. I did the people story and then the technical details. And I did the technical part because no one had done that up to date Uh uh, up to this point. And I want people like the the Smithsonian people, um, engineers down in Houston, uh, future engineers to understand what the policies were. You know, it's always good to understand where you are now if you if you know the history, if you don't know the history, then you're in trouble. And I think that this was a book of telling the history.
0: Now, I've known you as uh, running the, the test lab at ILC. What was your role back then? Was it similar or were you doing different things? No, oh, I you know I started back
2: in 1977, so I came a couple years after the Apollo program and it had all ended. But when I started there, I remember seeing Apollo suits hanging on racks in the back of the plant, right. and I mm-hmm. thought that was so cool that were these. Because I was 13 years old when Neil Armstrong walked on the moon, and I thought how cool that was. And I lived in Dover, and I worked, um, or I lived a block away from a couple of engineers that worked on the suit program, and I knew their kids, uh-huh. and I just thought it was so cool that. That here I, I grew up in a neighborhood where these engineers lived down the street from me. They were designing the suit. Uh-huh. And now here I am working at ILC, the company that made that suit. So when I started, of course, we were starting to work on the space shuttle suit. And it was a different kind of suit. And that's
0: a topic for a whole other discussion if you want to get into that. But, <laughs> well, yeah. but that was like the, the future suit
2: where we are today. Same kind of suit. It's a mm-hmm. station, space station suit. But it, it was a lot different than Apollo. And uh, And so over the years, I just... You know, When I first started working there, I worked with all the engineers that worked on Apollo and a lot of seamstresses, and I got to know them, and as time went on, I still appreciated what they did, and that's why I think that was a better part of the story. I think there'd be a good story in talking about the shuttle and the space station suits someday, but but it's just a lot more colorful to talk about the Apollo suits because mm-hmm. of what they did, the role they played, and the, the fact that they were new, old, new territory, and, and it was a uh, real challenge, and I think that's why I like that the best.
1: So, as far as the research and, and writing the book, how long did it take you to write and what was the process of writing your book like?
2: Oh, boy, you're asking good questions. <laughs> That's, uh, you guys are new good at this podcast. Um, so, so, I'll tell you what, the, um, uh, it took me three years, uh, at least three years. Um, it probably took. I bet you it took ten years of thinking about it. <laughs> you know, I—I I anybody that has a story to tell, you—you you don't just wake up one morning and say, "I'm going to sit down and write this book." You always think yeah. about it. And I can remember years ago thinking I had all the information. I had files and files in my file cabinet full of mm-hmm. all the Apollo documents, and I thought, "Well, I'd be a fool if I didn't." you know, start writing a book on this, but I'm not, I'm not a book, writer. I'm not Stephen King. I'm not a you know book writer. <laughs> right. So, so it's like, but that doesn't mean that not, you know, anybody, anybody can sit and write a book and um, and I beat myself up over it and I probably shouldn't have. And I'll always, to this, to the day the book comes out, it's going to be due out in October when it hits a the, the, you know, the market and it's out there and I'm holding it in my hand, I'm going to, have regrets about oh I should have worded it this way there's a typo here there's something wrong here and I'm gonna beat myself up on it but (laughs) uh, my word to anybody who wants to write a book is don't ever do that just do it so in that three years I sat there and I I know for the first three months I I started chapter one and I would I would write chapter one and I'd turn my computer off next night i would come back and I'd start reading from the beginning of chapter one and I'd change it I didn't like it so (laughs) this went on for night after night after night and I never got through chapter one. <laughs> so finally I said to myself, look, I've got to just start writing. So then it started getting to the point where I do an out I did an outline and I kind of try to stick to it. I bend it a little bit here and there. And I, I worked on it and worked on it. And uh, then so my tip is just keep writing, just write it, get your thoughts on paper, then go back and massage it, go figure out how you want to change it around a little bit and clean it up and do right. this, that, and the other to word the way you want, and then make it work that way. So that's why it took the three years. But um, yeah, it's it's a long process.
0: Talking to Bill Airy from ILC Dover, uh, the title of the book is Lunar Outfitters, Making the Apollo Spacesuit.
1: So um, where, when the book does come out, where can it be purchased? Where can people who want to read it find it?
2: sure well right now it's for sale on amazon um books um and it's also
0: on barnes and noble i know that much um those are pre-orders I, i'm not,
2: I'm, not sh- I'm sorry
0: are those those are pre-orders
2: yes pre-orders right. so if you order now you're on the list to get it when it comes out and uh, they'll mail them right out i guess from the publisher um so those are the two outfits i know of um Uh, I guess my job as an an author now is to get out there and start knocking on doors at some of the bookstores. So Mm -hmm. down in Rehoboth here, we have a store called Browse About Books. So I might want to go knock on their door and say, hey, I'd like to do a book signing if you'll carry my book. And, um, And so I'll do that. And so maybe they'll have it in the store, local stores. But that's kind of up to me a little bit. I'd really like to see it. Um, my uh, I, years ago, I would walk into the Smithsonian Air and Space Museum, and I'd go to their um, shop where they had all the, their little store where they had the T-shirts and books and everything. Mm-hmm. And they have a good selection of books in there. And I'd always look down. And I'd always
0: had this picture in my mind of having my book there on their rack. <laughs> That's <laughs> awesome. So, so I, I did put out an email to the
2: publisher. To um, well, I put out an email to the publisher of Smithsonian Air and Space Magazine to review the book and do a story. Uh, but I also need to get in touch with the person who runs the store over there at the that museum. And there's many other uh, air and space museums around the country. Mm-hmm. And I think that uh, those are the people, the customers that go there would be more apt to be interested in in the suits and, and buy the book. So, but for now, it is Barnes and Noble and Amazon.
0: Well, we will uh, do our best to promote your book through our our podcast and our uh, tens of listeners that we have (laughs) so far. (laughs) Well, the way you guys are going, you're doing a great job, so I think that'll grow. Keep it up. Can you spend a few more minutes with us? Absolutely, you bet. Because the bulk of your experience was with the the space shuttle, I'm assuming, correct? Uh, Yeah, yeah. Tell us a little bit about the, um, they call it the EVA, Extra Vehicular Activity Suit and uh-huh. may- maybe some of the similarities and differences of the, uh, with that in the Apollo
1: suit.
2: Yeah, sure. Um, yeah. So when I started working there, they started developing this, uh, extra vehicular activity suit for the space shuttle program. And it was a different mission. Of course, going to the moon, you're going, uh, you know, a quarter of a million miles away from the earth, you're going to walk on a semi gravity environment. It's only six, the gravity, um, but still it's got some gravity on it. So it's a walking suit. You're walking on the surface of the moon and there's gravity kind of pulling you down a little bit. Uh, shuttle program was just to float around the earth. So it's going to be, um, uh, orbiting the earth once every 90 minutes, uh, 18,000 miles an hour. And they would have to go out and do work on the space shuttle or, or eventually they knew they'd have a space station and they'd have to go out and do that. So, this suit didn't have to have all the mobility, uh, particularly in the lower torso, that the Apollo suit had, uh, because you know you're walking. A uh, space walk nowadays is really a space float. You're just floating out there <laughs> in space. Right. So. So that's really – they still call it a space walk, but it's really a space float. And so from the waist on down, you just have to have very limited mobility. The ankles could bend a little bit because you have to lock them into a foot restraint. And the waist rotates so that you can rotate around. But it's just a a minimum amount of uh, uh, motion. The upper torso, though, has to still have good flexibility. The shoulders, the arms, the gloves, all those things have to do all the work. So that was the important part of having mobility in that suit. And uh, and it could also be heavier because the Apollo suits had to be lightweight. They had to be um, – uh, they weighed uh, – they came in at about 60 pounds roughly uh, each. And, of course, a lot less wow. on the moon. Yeah. But the space shuttle suits, they're up to around uh, – I had one astronaut tell me with all the gear that he had on his suit, his suit weighed uh, up to 700 pounds. Wow. And that was with all the tools he had. He had tools. Right, right. He had um, – He had to take out a gyro, a compass-type thing to stick on, to repair on the space station. So he's floating around in space with this 700 pounds of mass that he's working with. And it's zero gravity, so you're floating around, but you still have the mass you have to control. So there's still a lot of work going on there. And um, so a big difference in the suits. uh, New materials, obviously, um, when – Apollo was over. We had three things that were kind of a no-no in future suits. One was rubber in the suits. The rubber worked fine for uh, sealing the suit up, uh, for limited use, going to the moon and back for one mission for, you know, six, seven days. It worked great. And I was going to the Smithsonian, and that's where it was going to be. But if you were going to take a suit and make it work for years on end, you know, at least for a year or more, you had to get away from the rubber because rubber decays. Mm. Uh, Also, the old Apollo suits had zippers in them zippers work quite well and that was the 1950s and 60s technology and it worked okay but there was always concern that the zipper would fail it's like you know a uh, zipper breaking out in your pants when you're least expecting you know, you don't want that to happen well, space, the no. same way. And, and if the zipper
1: fails in a suit you could die so right.
2: NASA never liked the zippers so we had to get away from the zippers and there were also metal cables that held all the loads in the old Apollo suits we had to get away from those so we went with a Dacron-type uh, uh, restraint line that took all the loads, and they're very much more predictable. You kind of know when they're sewn together the right way how many pounds of load they're going to take before they would break. And so the materials uh, were a big issue That uh, as far as changes from the Apollo program.
0: So um... – we really appreciate you coming on with us today, Bill. I have, yeah. uh, we have more we would like to talk to you about. I'd like to talk to you about uh, the bicycle trip that you did when you began retirement. Oh yeah, a little different subject. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, um, absolutely, if we could make some arrangements and have you come back, we'd really appreciate it.
2: I'd love to. I'd love to help you guys out. That's that'd be
0: fun. Thank you very much. This is Bill Airy. <laughs> Thank you. Lunar Outfitters making the Apollo spacesuit is the book, and you can pre-order it on Amazon. And Bill, we'll talk to you soon.
2: Okay, thanks both of you. I really appreciate it.
0: Thank you, sir. All
2: right, bye. Take care.
0: All right, Bill Airy from ILC Dover. I almost feel embarrassed now when we were going, we went from point of personal privilege <laughs> to a man who worked on the Apollo and uh, Space Shuttle.
1: That was really good, space though. Space. It was really interesting.
0: Yes, uh, Bill's a great guy, and um, for as knowledgeable as he is, you can see he's super easy to talk to. Oh, yeah. And um, he enjoys... Talking about what he's done. I mean, that was a a love of his. It wasn't Mm -hmm. just a a job. You can tell that comes through
1: uh,
0: as he talks. So, where were we at our point of personal privilege? Point
1: of personal privilege. It seems like
0: an odd. (laughs) Before we dive right back into that, because that was such a a, a jarring transition there, (laughs) uh, we did plan to have Bill on and uh, we hoped to do a a little more smooth introduction, but um, he got delayed in in the time he was supposed to come on. So, we apologize that that wasn't the. Smoothest transition, but now we'll go back to having fun with uh <laughs> what generation are these people? These are millennials, right?
1: Uh yeah. I okay. think it's like the younger millennials All right, though.
0: Let's go have some, some more fun with millennials.
1: Alright, let's do that. Cute comrade. Okay. Is there comrade. a speaker Stop and it. name?
0: Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know there's two sides to everything. Yes. For young people to be referring to one another as comrade is obviously comical. We don't do that. Well, no. Yes, this <laughs>
1: nobody actually does that except for this one video. <laughs> young
0: socialists, do
1: yeah, that. yeah, I guess.
0: And and they're in, to them, socialism is a very romantic idea, you know.
1: They just don't understand how it's failed over and over again over the course of history.
0: Well, you just said it,
1: <laughs> like, uh, but
0: they look at people like Castro and Che Guevara, and there's other hero, Lenin, Marx, and all that,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and and all these. Um, and I think there's a romantic connection back to, again, the 60s yeah. and all the, the campus unrest. And, you know, there was a lot of socialist Marxist underpinnings there. Yeah. So to them, it's like a glamorous thing to call each other comrade. They have no idea how uh, ruthless and what the tragic outcomes of these types of governments are, how many people die and
1: mm-hmm.
0: and those types of things. So. Like I said, I wanted to laugh at first, but... It's... Yeah. yeah. I, I don't think they understand any of that. No. I'll give them a break. <laughs> Go
1: ahead. Point of personal privilege. Yes. Please do not
0: use gendered language to, Stop. to
1: address everyone.
0: Did you hear him choke there? Yeah. <laughs> it sounded like he swallowed a hairball.
1: Yeah. He's, right. like, winded, and he hasn't even said Go anything. Go
0: ahead and finish it. Oh,
1: okay. that's it. That's all he said. That was it? Yeah.
0: <laughs> um, so... When he says gendered language, we've established now the he, him, she, her.
1: Yeah, that was, that by lots. the way, what he was referring to with the gendered language. Actually, wasn't the he, him thing. It was the he, him guy saying guys oh. at the beginning of uh, okay. his point of personal privilege thing. Um, and I <laughs> I think this is something that people, most people don't understand, is that if we use words like guys or bro or dude, like we're actually not... Really, you're
0: referring to people, yeah. We're general. referring to
1: people, not really like humans, dudes, yeah, people of earth. Yep, yes, yeah.
0: So, as we um previewed that segment before we went on the air, I think the comments were actually pretty pretty entertaining. Oh my you want to read some?
1: <laughs> so, the first one I have up here is that it's actually pretty funny if you realize that those people who get anxiety from clapping are writing, I punch Nazis on Twitter. That's funny,
0: but probably true as well,
1: yeah. <laughs> point of personal privilege your jazz hands are creating a disrupting breeze and i'm developing a rash
0: now i don't know is jazz hands is that like what most people know what we're talking about when we yeah I, like the, I understand that. Yeah. Is that is that common knowledge yeah that I...
1: everyone but okay you... everyone knows what jazz hands are okay first of all all
0: right <laughs> well th- but see that's the thing you know how yeah how insane that is what that people get triggered by clapping. Yeah. Now there may be special cases, you know, and and I'm being serious now for a moment.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, I know. I think it, what is it? People with epilepsy can't take, like, if they like go to a flashing,
1: place, flashing stuff lights. like
0: that. Yeah. They, but I mean, that's understandable, right? But people get upset by clapping, so everybody is supposed to shake their hands. That's jazz hands. Yeah. Shake their hands in yeah. there. And yeah. what did that guy say about that? Your jazz hands are doing what?
1: Your jazz hands are creating a disrupting breeze. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay. I like it. Drifting with sarcasm.
1: Yeah. yeah. This other one, point of personal privilege, could you please keep the comments to less than one word? I suffer from sensory overload. Oh, man. That's unbelievable.
0: <laughs> so, millennials. Yes. Th- th- my whole point, I mean, this is just funny in and of itself. It stands yeah. alone. You can have fun with it. Mm-hmm. But my uh, reason for wanting to, to bring this up is that you are what? Generation?
1: I'm Generation Z.
0: And, I mean, obviously we're talking in generalities. Mm-hmm. But is is there a general view that Generation Z has for millennials?
1: I think, honestly, it varies by the person. Like, when we look at millennials, I, I don't really have a particular view. Because I think everyone in that group, honestly, has their own opinion and their own way of doing things. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that is... Interesting with Generation Z is we don't, we don't group people like just because you're a millennial we don't think that you're like an insane social. All right, let me go a
0: different way with it then. Okay. Because I'm driving towards a point. Yes. Sometimes you have to make assumptions, mm-hmm. right? So there are some assumptions made about millennials
1: mm-hmm.
0: that, and you know, and you know the terms
1: mm-hmm. triggered. Yeah. In
0: other words, you know, some the slightest thing will drive them nuts. Right. Um. What's the other one? Triggered
1: Snowflake.
0: Snowflake, yeah, that's yeah. the other one. And I can understand how that <laughs> I wouldn't like to recall. But
1: Yeah. I mean there's some There's a yeah. there's a
0: kernel of truth. The yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. If um if if whispering gives you sensory overload.
1: Yeah. I think
0: that qualifies as a snowflake ish.
1: Probably. Probably, yeah.
0: So that's kinda of what I was driving at. When you when a, when a person of your generation hears someone these people are older than you. Mm-hmm. Many of them are of I'm going to make assumptions again.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You get into your mid 20s, 30s, you should be capable of living as an adult. Yes. Having some sort of income
1: mm-hmm. creating yeah. activity yes to
0: support yourself
1: mm-hmm.
0: and and to live life. Yes. Dealing with adversity. Yes. What does generation Z feel about the millennials ability to do those things? <sighs>
1: Honestly, I'm gonna have to take this from my personal point of view. That's kind of what Gen, I was shirt for. Gen Z, Gen Z. If we want to talk about from like a Gen Z point of view, it's not gonna be my same opinion because Gen Z actually looks at millennials as like, a, like. Uh, I'll explain my point first. Is that yeah? Sometimes it's pathetic to see. <laughs> I, I knew, like,
0: listen, <laughs> you made me work for that, but I knew that was lurking down yes, the air somewhere. Yes, okay,
1: yeah. yeah. So, yeah, sometimes the stuff that these people do is actually pretty pathetic. Like, getting triggered over people whispering, Yes. Like you're an or adult, clapping. yeah, or clapping, like, you're an adult, you need to deal with crazy stuff in our world, right. getting triggered over whispering and clapping isn't going to help you deal with stuff in our world. Now, the point I want to make about Gen Z is that most people in Gen Z wouldn't actually think that way about millennials. So, yes, our generation typically doesn't like to make assumptions about people Mm. because that can lead down a very dangerous road of separating things and causing a lot more fights than it needs to, which is why I also don't like generalizing people by groups because everyone has a different situation and a a different way that they were raised. So I prefer to get to know a person and understand how they think and talk before I really... Make, I don't want to say judgments or. No, I, you before can say I'm judgments. A, yeah, yeah, a judgment about a person. <laughs> right. I don't want to generalize them just because they're on the left side of politics. I don't want to judge them and just say that you're like a crazy socialist because not all of them are. Interesting. So, yeah.
2: I
0: feel like a better man for having this conversation <laughs> because, uh, you know, I like to have my fun with the millennials. Yeah. I mean, and when you hear something like that. Yes. That's a real thing. We didn't make that up. Right.
1: And yeah. I think I think a lot of people get flooded with that kind of stuff from right. millennials. Right. And you don't actually see a lot of what they actually are as no. people.
0: And to your point, um, I listen to a lot of talk radio where you hear people interact from all different groups.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I've heard many a millennial call in and say that they hate those same things.
1: Mm-hmm. In other
0: words, I'm from that generation, mm-hmm. but that's not me. Exactly. We're not all like that. Exactly. So, yeah, that tag, I can see someone in that age group. Yeah. But these things, like cliches, become cliches because they're true. Yeah. You know, these these labels have some elements of truth. Yeah, that's true. It's
1: just that not everyone is like that. And we we just prefer to get to know a person and their way of life before making any kind of judgments like that.
0: All right. So we made uh, great progress today. Mm -hmm. We had a great revealing of... um, truth yes about where we are located yes right <laughs> we um encourage people to hike with a geek yes we covered a lot of ground yeah you know we find we found out what you say it your phrase
1: My, oh it is what it is Yeah, but
0: say it the right it way
1: is what it is
0: see now we know what that means <laughs> i got we got to covered that yes we covered uh gen z i was gonna say verses, not like it's a con yeah. but how Gen Z views millennial. Mm-hmm. But the most important segment of all was Mr. Bill Airy. Yes. Who works in an awesome industry. And uh, I almost wish we put him on a different show because he was, <laughs> he was by far and away above.
1: Yes. All yeah. That.
0: So this is the father daughter podcast. This has been episode number four, five.
1: Five, five. Five. Episode five. Five. Five.
0: <laughs> the world revolves around five. You know where that comes from? Nope. Sesame Street.
1: Okay.
0: <laughs> <laughs> we're not done yet. I was... We were... <laughs> Do you remember that Sesame Street used to always have a... You know, they'd say Sesame Street was brought to you today by the number or whatever. Oh.
1: No, I don't remember. You
0: don't remember? That. You didn't watch a lot of Sesame Street. No, I didn't. Well, that little jingle I just did... Yeah. ...came from um, a guy I used to work with mm-hmm. at McGuire Air Force Base on the flight line.
1: Yeah.
0: And... Um, he had kids that age. Oh, yeah. And one day he walked in and he's going like,
1: three,
0: three, the world revolves around three. And you could tell he, liked, <laughs> like he was really sick of it. You, know, you could feel that, that yeah. frustration. <laughs> so anyway, episode number five, we do have one more thing to talk about. We do. Yes. Um, the number of episodes. A lot of times there's arbitrary things put out there as milestones. Yes. As far as numbers go. We talked yeah. about, we, we joked when we, our first podcast had like 25 downloads. Yeah. And I was doing some research and it was supposed to be somewhere, you know, making money. Yeah. It was like fifty thousand. So it was kind of funny. Yeah. <laughs> and another one I watched was um just how to how to survive and not like start and fail. Right. And the guy it was his opinion, but but in his experience with seeing people starting podcasts, he would say that um there's a threshold of, of seven episodes.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, people quit after yeah. We're getting there. Yeah.
1: We are getting to seven. I'm are we gonna
0: sure. Are we gonna get to seven and blow right past it?
1: I I think I think we're gonna keep doing it. God this. willing, right? Yeah.
0: God willing, we will we will keep going. That, that's my goal is to have an eighth episode. Yes. <laughs> All right, that's a good short term goal, right? Yes,
1: good short term goal.
0: All right, this is the father daughter podcast, and we are out. Mm-hmm.